Chapter Three of Parnassus on Wheels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley. Chapter Three. Well, I thought, if I'm in for an adventure, I may as well be spry about it. Andrew'll be home by half past twelve, and if I'm going to give him the slip, I'd better get a start. I suppose he'll think I'm crazy. He'll follow me, I guess. Well, he just shan't catch me, that's all. A kind of anger came over me to think that I'd been living on that farm for nearly fifteen years. Yes, sir, ever since I was twenty-five, and hardly ever been away, except for that trip to Boston once a year to go shopping with Cousin Edie. I'm a home-keeping soul, I guess, and I love my kitchen and my preserve cupboard and my linen closet as well as Grandmother ever did. But something in that blue October air and that crazy little red-bearded man just tickled me. Look here, Mr. Parnassus, I said. I guess I'm a fat old fool, but I just believe I'll do that. You hitch up your horse and van, and I'll go pack some clothes and write you a check. It'll do Andrew all the good in the world to have me skip. I'll get a chance to read a few books, too. It'll be as good as going to college. And I untied my apron string and ran for the house. The little man stood leaning against the corner of the van as if he were stupefied. I dare say he was. I ran into the house through the front door, and it struck me as comical to see a copy of one of Andrew's magazines lying on the living room table with the Revolt of Womanhood printed across it in red letters. Here goes for the Revolt of Helen McGill, I thought. I sat down at Andrew's desk. Pushed aside a pad of notes he had been jotting down about the magic of autumn and scrawled a few lines. Dear Andrew, don't be thinking I'm crazy. I've gone off for an adventure. It just came over me that you've had all the adventures while I've been at home baking bread. Mrs. McNally will look after your meals, and one of her girls can come over to do the housework, so don't worry. I'm going off for a little while, a month maybe. To see some of this happiness and hayseed of yours. It's what the magazines call the revolt of womanhood. Warm underwear in the cedar chest in the spare room when you need it. With love, Helen. I left the note on his desk. Mrs. McNally was bending over the tubs in the laundry. I could see only the broad arch of her back and hear the vigorous zzzz of her rubbing. She straightened up at my call. Mrs. McNally, I said, I'm going away for a little trip. You'd better let the washing go until this afternoon and get Andrew's dinner for him. He'll be back about twelve thirty. It's half past ten now. You tell him I've gone over to see Mrs. Collins at Locust Farm. Mrs. McNally is a brawny, slow witted Swede. All right, Miss McGill, she said. You be back to dinner? No, I'm not coming back for a month, I said. I'm going away for a trip. I want you to send Rosie over here every day to do the housework while I'm away. You can arrange with Mr. McGill about that. I've got to hurry now. Mrs. McNally's honest eyes, as blue as Copenhagen china, gazing through the window in perplexity, fell upon the traveling Parnassus and Mr. Mifflin backing Pegasus into the shafts. I saw her make a valiant effort to comprehend the sign painted on the side of the van and give it up. You going driving? 
she asked blankly. Yes, I said, and fled upstairs. I always keep my bank book in an old Hyler box in the top drawer of my bureau. I don't save very quickly, I'm afraid. I have a little income from some money father left me, but Andrew takes care of that. Andrew pays all the farm expenses, but the housekeeping accounts fall to me. I make a fairish amount of pin money on my poultry and some of my preserves that I send to Boston, and on some recipes of mine that I send to a woman's magazine now and then, but generally savings don't amount to much over ten dollars a month. In the last five years I had put by something more than six hundred dollars. I had been saving up for a Ford, but just now it looked to me as if that Parnassus would be more fun than a Ford ever could be. Four hundred dollars was a lot of money, but I thought of what it would mean to have Andrew come home and buy it. Why, he'd be away until Thanksgiving. Whereas if I bought it I could take it away, have my adventure, and sell it somewhere so that Andrew never need see it. I hardened my heart and determined to give the sage of Redfield some of his own medicine. My balance at the Redfield National Bank was six hundred and fifteen dollars and twenty cents. I sat down at the table in my bedroom where I kept my accounts and wrote out a check to Roger Mifflin for four hundred dollars. I put in plenty of curlicues after the figures so that no one could raise the check to four hundred thousand dollars. Then I got my old rattan suitcase and put some clothes in. The whole business didn't take me ten minutes. I came downstairs to find Mrs. McNally looking sourly at the Parnassus from the kitchen door. "'You going away in that—that that bus, Miss McGill?' she asked. "'Yes, Mrs. McNally,' I said cheerfully. Her use of the word gave me an inspiration. "'That's one of the new jitney buses we hear about. He's going to take me to the station. Don't you worry about it. I'm going for a holiday.' You get Mr. McGill's dinner ready for him. After dinner, tell him there's a note for him in the living room. I tank that bain a queer bus, said Mrs. McNally, puzzled. I think the excellent woman suspected an elopement. I carried my suitcase down to the Parnassus. Pegasus stood placidly between the shafts. From within came sounds of vigorous movement. In a moment the little man burst out with a bulging portmanteau in his hand, he had a tweed cap slanted on the back of his head. "'There!' he cried triumphantly. "'I've packed all my personal effects, clothes, and so on, "'and everything else goes with the transaction. "'When I get on the train with this bag, I'm a free man, "'and hurrah for Brooklyn! "'Lord, won't I be glad to get back to the city! "'I lived in Brooklyn once, and I haven't been back there for ten years,' "'he added plaintively.' "'Here's the check,' I said, handing it to him. He flushed a little and looked at me rather shamefacedly. "'See here,' he said. "'I hope you're not making a bad bargain. "'I don't want to take advantage of a lady. "'If you think your brother—' "'I was going to buy a Ford with it anyway,' I said. "'And it looks to me as though this Parcheesi of yours "'would be cheaper to run than any fliver that ever came out of Detroit.' I want to keep it away from Andrew, and that's the main thing. You give me a receipt, and we'll get away from here before he comes back. He took the check without a word, hoisted his fat portmanteau onto the driver's seat, and then disappeared in the van. 
In a minute he reappeared. On the back of one of his poetical cards he had written, received from Miss McGill the sum of four hundred dollars in exchange for one travelling Parnassus in first-class condition, delivered to her this day, October 3rd. Signed, Roger Mifflin. Tell me, I said, does your Parnassus, my Parnassus rather, contain everything I'm likely to need? Is it stocked up with food and so on? I was coming to that, he said. You'll find a fair supply of stuff in the cupboard over the stove, though I used to get most of my meals at farmhouses along the road. I generally read aloud to people as I go along, and they're often good for a free meal. It's amazing how little most of the country folk know about books, and how pleased they are to hear good stuff. Down in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, well, how about the horse? I said hastily, seeing him about to embark on an anecdote. It wasn't far short of eleven o'clock, and I was getting anxious to get started. It might be well to take along some oats. My supply is about exhausted. I filled a sack with oats in the stable, and Mr. Mifflin showed me where to hang it under the van. Then in the kitchen I loaded a big basket with provisions for an emergency. A dozen eggs, a jar of sliced bacon, butter, cheese, condensed milk, tea, biscuits, jam, and two loaves of bread. These Mr. Mifflin stowed inside the van, Mrs. McNally watching in amazement. "'I tank this bain a queer picnic,' she said. "'Which way are you goin'? Mr. McGill, is he comin' after you?' "'No,' I insisted. "'He's not coming. I'm going off on a holiday. "'You get dinner for him, and he won't worry about anything until after that. "'Tell him I've gone over to see Mrs. Collins.' I climbed the little steps and entered my Parnassus with the pleasant thrill of ownership. The terrier on the bunk jumped to the floor with a friendly wag of his tail. I piled the bunk with bedding and blankets of my own, shook out the drawers which fitted above the bunk, and put into them what few belongings I was taking with me, and we were ready to start. Redbeard was already sitting in front with the reins in hand. I climbed up beside him. The front seat was broad but uncushioned, well sheltered by the peak of the van. I gave a quick glance around at the comfortable house under its elms and maples, saw the big red barn shining in the sun and the pump under the grape arbor. I waved good-bye to Mrs. McNally, who was watching us in silent amazement. Pegasus threw her solid weight against the traces and Parnassus swung around and rolled past the gate. We turned into the Redfield Road. Here, said Mifflin, handing me the reins. Your skipper, you'd better drive. Which way do you want to go? My breath came a little fast when I realized that my adventure had begun. End of chapter 3